Let's all lift our hands across the building. Let's give God worship. Let's give God praise. Lord, we lift our hearts to you. We lift our lives to you. We lift every situation to you, God. Lift your praises to the Lord. Lift your pain to the Lord. Lift your struggles to the Lord. Whatever you have in your hands right now, lift it to the Lord. God, I don't want to carry this anymore. God, I don't need this anymore. God, I need to be free in the house of God tonight. Whatever it is that's weighing you down, give it to the Lord. Whatever it is that's on your mind that you're struggling with right now, rebuke it and give it to the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's worship him just for a moment. Just for a moment. Just for a moment, I don't want to get too quick into a service to think I've got to get to the next part so we can get out of here quickly, but let's just take a moment and stand in the presence of God, stand in the presence of a healer, standing in the presence of a Savior, standing in the presence of our Redeemer. Let's get what we need in the house of God. Let's not move too fast. Let's not be too quick, but let us stand and realize and recognize that God is in this place. God is truly in this place. And I feel like his work has not been done yet tonight. Not saying that because of anything. I, I really, you feel like in a church with, with all that God is doing, what can one person say? What can one person do? I feel like God can speak where man cannot speak. And God can reach where man cannot reach. And God knows what you're going through. And I believe somehow God can put it on the heart of a man to preach something that could reach you where you are. Amen. So excited to be in church tonight. A couple announcements just because I forgot and I don't want to go over them or go, go over service and forget them. Uh, discipleship is starting again this Sunday. Discipleship, that's important. If you're wanting to learn more about the Bible, if you're wanting to learn more about the truth of the Bible, please see Brother Nate Reese or Brother Martin Field. Sunday mornings they have discipleship. That's for anybody who wants to learn that doesn't know or maybe a refresher for what you already know. Just connect with them make sure you're there for that also this monday is going to start camp west camp west is starting this monday there's still time to register if you need any help if you have any questions please see brother jeremy brock regarding that what is it oh next monday not tomorrow next monday next monday all right so all those are done uh just want to say it's an honor to be able to preach to this church. I love this church. I love my pastor. I just love the opportunity to stand up here with all of you and just try my best to, to deliver what God has put on my heart. With all that being said, without any further delay, let's all go to the book of Luke, chapter number 15. Got up here a little early, which makes me nervous because I don't plan on preaching a long time. Sunday morning stressed me out. I preached a Sunday morning one time. Anywhere I preach Sunday mornings, it stresses me out because there's stuff that's waiting <laughs> when we get out early, and I never want to preach a long time. So Sunday night, you preach short, everybody's happy. There's nobody waiting on anybody to get done with Sunday school. <laughs> Reading from the book of Luke, chapter number 15 and verse 11, it says, And he said, this is Jesus, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in wants. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, 
How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Focusing on verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Tonight, to title this message, I would like to preach, Don't Worry About the Details. Don't Worry About the Details. If you would, set your Bibles down, lift your hands toward heaven, and let's create an atmosphere for God to move. I don't want to stay in this flesh. I don't want to stay in carnal abilities, but let's step into the Spirit of God right now. Let's get into an atmosphere of prayer right now, an atmosphere of expectation for the glory of God to fall in this house. Anything can happen when you don't worry about the details and you just focus on God. Right now, everything that's on your mind, put it to the side and focus on God. Before we go any further, I'm not waiting for my word, but I'm waiting for the word of God. God, not by might, not by power, but by thy spirit. Oh God, would you move in this house? Would you shake everything that needs to be shaken? Would you stir everybody in their hearts that's grown cold and indifferent? God, would you do something in your house among your people tonight? You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Don't worry about the details. Something interesting to me as a dad that I learned quickly is that kids do stuff that you never teach them. Bad stuff. <laughs> stuff like lying. Never taught them how to lie, but they learn on their own how to lie. Or stealing. <laughs> they learn how to steal. They learn how to grab toys and act like it's theirs and take it all the way up to the cashier with it. They learn how to do stuff like that. They learn how to be mean. Without you ever teaching them how to be mean, they say things that hurt your feelings. Like, Dad, go back to work. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> They're only three. And you've got to realize it's just kids. But where do they learn it? How is it that they learn things without ever being taught? In, in our house, one time, my wife worked overnight, and I was with the baby, and, and I wake up, and she's gone. And I'm like, what in the world? You wake up, and you're half asleep, so you're kind of frantic, and you run. And there she was in the living room, sitting on the couch with a cup in her hand, and she was asleep with the cup in her hand. And I looked to see what cup it was, and it was the cup that she was eating ice cream from before we went to bed. And she got up at 3 in the morning, went into the kitchen, got the cup, and fell asleep with it on the couch, eating the little bit of ice cream that was left at the bottom. Kids. And their infamous cover-ups and the things they sneak around to do. Or when it gets quiet, you know something's wrong. <laughs> you know, somewhere, this kid is getting into something. And there's only a certain amount of time before it's too late. So many times we've gone looking for her and we'll see little feet on the other side of the couch in the corner. And look, and there's her with mom's purse open. The gum from mom's purse open. Twelve pieces of gum, wrappers, open. And a golf ball size of gum being chewed on. And she knows she's not allowed to have it, so she's gone and done things and made a way to get that gum when nobody was watching. How is it that kids learn to do things without ever being taught? What is it about humans that learn how to hide things? 
Never forget uh, one time, I was about 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there, about fifth grade, and I was riding my bike to go swim at the river in the summer, and my bike's front tire was flat, and I got so tired, I, I didn't want to ride on it and mess up the rim. I didn't want to walk it because I was just so tired. It was hot, and I wanted to go to the river. I just left it at the park and went on to the river. And when I came back, my bike was gone. Because I left it and neglected it, somebody was able to take it. And I remember going home and telling my stepdad, and in oil Dell, somebody steals from something from you, it's on. It's not like, oh, okay, we'll just go buy you another one. It's like, no, we're going to ask around. <laughs> we're going to find out who took it. Enough people know people to find out whoever did it. So we're looking for this bike. We're doing everything we can because I told my stepdad that it was stolen. But in all actuality, I hid what really happened, and it was neglected. I'm bringing that to our attention as an introduction today and as a foundation to say that the enemy of our souls can only take things that have already been neglected. How many times have we claimed to lose something in God or to lose something in life when in reality it was neglected before it was ever lost? Prayer lives were neglected before they were ever lost. Families were neglected before they were ever lost. Marriages were neglected before they were ever lost. Kids were neglected before they ever were lost. Walk with God, walks with God were neglected before they were ever lost. Before anybody can take something from you, you have to give up possession of it. The enemy cannot take something from you that you will not let go of. How many times do we claim that something has been stolen when in all actuality, the truth is that it was neglected by us? Jesus in Matthew 12 and 43 says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and finding none. An unclean spirit leaves a man finding no rest and he says I will return into my house taking possession of something that's not his he goes back to that house he says from whence I came and it says and when he has come he findeth it empty swept and garnished swept garnished but empty taken care of but not occupied let me tell you living for God it's not enough just to keep up but you've got to occupy some things we don't need to live in survival mode. We don't need to live service to service. We don't need to live from revival to revival. But there needs to be an occupation of our faith. There needs to be an occupation of a prayer room. There needs to be something that when the enemy comes and he comes looking through the window, he can say, I have no place in there because it's occupied. He cannot steal something that you are taking care of. He cannot take something from you that you're not letting go of. And then he goes and he takes with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so it also shall be with this wicked generation. We can say, well, this spirit has no right to enter. Hatred has no right to enter. Bitterness has no right to enter your life. Jealousy, lust, desires of this world have no right to enter your life but when it finds your mind unoccupied and it finds your time being spent idling away from the presence of God away from a prayerful mindset away from a heart of faith the enemy finds a way to creep into your life 
The enemy doesn't just come in and steal, but he comes in and he sneaks around until he sees some things that you're not paying attention to, till he sees kids that aren't being paid attention to, till he sees wives that aren't being paid attention to, till he finds things in your life that you don't value anymore, and the enemy comes in and steals it because it was neglected. How many times do we claim to have lost control of something when in reality we neglected it? Today is a day for each and every one of us to take ownership of our faith, take ownership of our prayer life, to live for God with all of our heart. So many people doubt that God is working because they're not committed to God. And they're questioning, I don't know if it's me or if it's God because I'm not all in, so there's no way to measure the situation. But when you get all in and you put your life in the hand of God and you put your family in the hands of God and you put your children in the hands of God, let me tell you, you will see the glory of God when you pray and you have a river that's flowing with living water in your soul. From day to day, you come into the house on Sunday and you recognize what you feel because it's not a surprise. You've been living in it all week. I don't come to the house of God for a high point, but I come to reconnect from where I am. We don't live from service to service, but we live from faith to faith, from glory to glory, from victory to victory. There's no time for defeat. There's no time to back down. There's no time to give up. You've got to stay in the fight. You've got to fight things for your family's future. You've got to fight things so that there is a day when your grandchildren can live for God and look back at you and the legacy you started and the faith that you had. I don't want my family to know I was a backslider. I was cold-hearted. I was a hater of ministry but I was a faithful man of God let's worship the Lord I don't want to be known as a bitter person I don't want to be known as a hateful person I don't want to know be known as any of those things but let it be said he walked with the Lord one day at a time today is the day for us to get real Stop hiding our weaknesses. Stop hiding our mistakes so that God can work on us where we really live. We may have lost ground, but we haven't lost all of our ground today. Maybe the true issue of the matter is that we're afraid to be honest. Because something very true in life is that the root of a lie is fear. You lie because you're afraid of the truth, the consequences of the truth. The ownership that's going to have to take place because of the truth. The, 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 the things that are going to come from the truth being told that we lie because of fear of what will the truth bring. We need to be honest with God. We have the wrong perspective of God in our weakness. Ezekiel 33, 11 says, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? He said, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God has not brought you this far to die in your dilemma, to die in your circumstance, to die in what you're going through. But he wants you to live. Turn ye from your evil ways. 
2 Peter 3, 9, For the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any, not willing that any, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's no such thing as a throwaway. There's no such thing as a life that God's not reaching for. There's no such thing as a person that my God does not love. My God does not want to save. My God does not want to heal. If you're a heart beating, if your heart is beating, there's a God that loves you. If you're here on this earth, there's still a purpose for your life. You need to do away with suicidal thoughts. You need to do away with feeling invaluable and feeling like nobody loves you and nobody cares. There's a God that loves you so much. He sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus doesn't want to destroy you. Jesus doesn't want to see you fail. Jesus doesn't want to see you crumble and fall and become nothing more than a story to talk about that's very sad. But Jesus wants you to come back and get things right. And don't worry about the details. In the book of Luke chapter 4, verse 16, says, And he came to Nazareth. Where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. Now catch this. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Then he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. There's a lot of different things happening here if we look at the deeper meaning of what happened. He opened a writing that we can actually find. We can locate it as Isaiah chapter number 61, verses 1 and 2. And he begins reading something that was very known. And he reads through verse 1 all the way through. And he reads through verse number 2 and right in the middle of it. Halfway through the scripture, he stops and he closes the book. Jesus not only stops in the middle of a verse, but he stops right in the very middle of a sentence as he's reading Isaiah 61 and verse 2. Jesus leaves the reading totally unfinished, closes the book, and sits down. Jesus, no doubt, has several scholars around him who would know this from memory, would memorize it as children in their schools many of whom could quote it off the top of their head. And when it says that he sat down, it also says that every eye in the building was fastened on him, focused on him, wondering what was going on. Which begs the question tonight, what was so strange? What did he leave out when he closed the book? First of all, Jesus stopped his reading much sooner than what was expected. Tonight, I hope I end my preaching much sooner than what was expected. Usually, the reader in the synagogue would go on and on reading for long periods of time. Complete chapters of what we would know now could be read in one reading. 
But not only did Jesus stop his reading short, but he also left out the end of a verse and took a seat. Without keeping them waiting very long, he looks at the crowd and says, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Jesus is identifying himself as the Messiah. He was letting them know very openly and without hesitation that this writing of prophecy was being fulfilled in him. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. But again, what is so significant about where he stopped reading and what was it that at that point which he closed the book bothered so many people? Because if we get to the end, listen to this. We get to the end of Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 2. It says, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. And the day of vengeance of our God. There is a day of vengeance coming. Jesus is letting them know by closing the book before he ever gets to that point. Today, there is a day of mercy. While one day there will be a day of vengeance. One day there will be what Revelations calls the wrath of the Lamb. One day there will be a reckoning and the righteous judgment of God. He's letting them know and he's letting First Pentecostal Church know tonight that today is not that day. Today, there's healing for the brokenhearted. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. There is a day of judgment, but today there's deliverance for all those that are captive to sin, to anxiety, to depression, to self-hurt and self-hurting yourself and trying to take things out from your past and trying to take things out on yourself from your present and trying to take things out on yourself that you cannot change. Today is the day for God to wrap his arms of love around your life and save you from hell save you from yourself save you from everything you're going through recovery of sight to the blind that the scales of darkness would fall from the eyes of those that have been blinded that they might see the mercy of God there is a day of judgment coming but today is the day of salvation for you Today, he's closing the book on some judgment in your life. You're saying, God, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. There's so many things that are on their way to destroy you when you're away from God, living life for yourself. There's so many things that are ready to take you. And God is closing the book when you step into his mercy. And he's saying there's a day coming, but that day is not today. Today is the day of salvation. Micah 7, 18, who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and patheth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. People may remember what you did. People may remember what you said. 
But God throws it into the depths of the sea. You may remember your mistakes. You may remember your failures. You may remember things that really nobody even knows about. But it plagues your mind and it makes you feel like a dog. And it makes you feel unworthy to be loved and unworthy to stand in a church full of people. Makes you feel so less than average. But God is casting all your sins into the depths of the sea. But just like the enemy that can't take anything from you until you let it go, God can't take anything from you until you let it go. Till you let go of the hurt. Till you let go of the painful memories. Till you let go of bitterness and things that hurt you. Till you let go of old wounds that have never healed. Till you let go of things that have been said about you. Till you let go, like blind Bartimaeus, of an old reputation as who you once were. And step in with confidence into the presence of God that wants to change your life. Brother Nate, God cannot take anything from you that you're not willing to let go of. Almost done. Going back to Luke chapter number 15 and verse 11. A certain man had two sons. The musicians can make their way. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto, him, unto them his living. The inheritance of a, of a son from his father was customarily given after death. This son was asking for a special exception to leave the safety of his father's home. And despite the great love of the father, he gives his son what he's asking for. The father didn't force him to stay. The father didn't beg him not to go. But he looks at him in love. And he says, if that's what you want, I love you enough to go that, let you go that way. That's tough for us to understand sometimes. Why would God let us go that way? Why would God allow people to do things that may hurt them? Let me tell you, God wants a love that's true from you. He wants a relationship that's real. He doesn't want to force you into anything, but he wants you to say, I've tried it all. I've done all that other stuff. I've tasted of this world, and I've tasted of sin, and I've seen the destruction of the wicked, and I've seen things come to naught because it was trusting in the, in the heart and the ability of man. I'm coming back to God, not because I have to, but because I love him. God wants you to love him with a true heart that's not forced. Let me tell you something, if you're in church because of opportunities that others can provide, that's not right. I've seen that several times. And you know what happens? They never got their heart right with God. They were seeking the opportunity, but they were never really seeking the life-changing power of God. They were seeking the hand of somebody that could help them, but they weren't seeking the hand of God that wanted to change their life. They played the part to get what they wanted from people, but they never, as I've already said, became honest and told the truth and gave God what they were really dealing with. Never changed their plans, never changed their lifestyle, just changed the way that they seemed to be in church. That's not right. You're selling yourself short to be in this place for any other reason but for God. Despite his great love, the father willingly gives the son everything that he's asking for. And he goes into a far journey, into a land. And there arose a famine in that land, and he began to be in want. 
He leaves his father's house hoping for freedom, hoping for independence, hoping for a better life. But he soon finds himself weighed down with more than he's able to handle. Let me say this, that sin takes you farther than you ever want to go. Sin keeps you longer than you ever wanted to stay. Sin is like going down a road without brakes because everything is fine until you decide that you want to stop and head back. Sin looks pleasurable for a season, but the end of that choice will always be death and destruction. He gets to that place and it says that he began to be in want. He begins to work for a man who owns swine. The picture I get, a son of a wealthy man in a foreign land serving the pigs. When at home he was served by the servants, selling himself short of who he really was. There's a place for him if he would just realize this world has nothing to offer me. Everything I need is in the house of my father. Young people, don't ever get your eyes on the world thinking the grass is greener on the other side. If you think the grass is greener on the other side, you need to stop complaining. You need to stop comparing. You need to stop trying to worry about all that stuff. And you need to start watering the grass that you're standing on. Because there are riches and mercy in this house. There are people that love you. There are people that are praying for you. There's people that are fighting for you. They're not looking at your life and what's going to happen in the next year. But they're looking at your life as a whole and how God is planning to save you. Sin takes you farther than you want to go. Sin keeps you longer than you want to stay. He comes to himself. He didn't try to join some kind of help group. He didn't go looking for ways to distract himself from the reality of his situation. He didn't try to seek out to repair his inner self or try to forget about his past. To reestablish himself as something else and forget about his life before. Like Peter who denied the Lord three times. He never blamed anyone for the place that he had put himself in life. But he said, I will arise and go to my father. Let's pray just for a moment. Lord, I pray for your spirit right now to go upon this congregation. Lord, I can only say so much. God, would you confirm your word? God, would you move all across this house? We need a move of God. We need a move of God. We need a move of God. Come on, somebody. Pray in the spirit. Get deeper than just normal prayer. Come on, somebody. God is fighting for somebody. The spirit is reaching for somebody. He says, I will arise and go to my Father. Let me tell you the greatest message that will ever be preached in your lifetime will not be a message that's preached at a conference. It's not a message that's preached at a camp meeting. It's not a message that will ever be preached on a Sunday night. But the greatest message that will ever be preached in your life will be the message that you preach to yourself. And you say, I need to get back to God. I need to get right with Him. I need to get out of sin. And I need to get back into church. The greatest message ever preached is when you shake yourself and you say, I'm done with it. Hey, I've been, I'm done. I'm in, I'm in this pigsty. I'm almost thinking about going down the road even further. 
than what's even imaginable for me. He couldn't worry about how far he had gone in the wrong direction. He couldn't worry about everything that he had spent and lost. The enemy would like to tell you, you've lost so much, you'll never get it back. Don't worry about the details. Don't worry about the details. Don't worry about the details of everything you've lost. Don't worry about the details of all the failures, of all the mistakes, of everything you said, everything you, you, you did, everything you think is irreparable. Don't worry about the details. Just get back to your father. He wasn't coming back to receive anything. He wasn't coming back even to be reestablished or once again be part of the people again. He wasn't fighting for a place at the table. He wasn't coming back for an opportunity. When the prodigal son left, you know what he said? He said, Father, give me. Give me. What can I be given? It's a problem so many times as we think the answer to our problem is what we can be given. But when his mindset changes from where he went, he says, Father, make me. It's not about what God can give you, but what can God make out of you? It's not the answer. of uh, The answer is not what, what, what can somebody hand to you? What can somebody put in your hands that's going to change your life? But God, what can you make me? God, what can you do with me? What can you do with this pride? What can you do with this bitterness? What can you do with this resentment? I don't want to be given anything, but Father, make me. So we all stand. He wasn't fighting for a place at the table, but he just wanted to be back in the presence of his Father. The moment of mercy. I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. It's coming down this path so broken. I, I don't know how long he was gone. We don't know everything. But I believe as he came back, there may be a people, there may have been people on the property that didn't even recognize who he was because he was so dirty. He left as a prince. He left as royalty. He left as one of the leaders of the household. But he comes back broken by the world. So bad that he can't even be recognized. Hair overgrown. Beard overgrown. Covered in mud. Clothes that he left with no longer on his person. Ripped and shredded and covered in dirt. Flies all around him. People are unsure of who he was. They couldn't even recognize him. But there was a father that knew exactly who he was. There was a father that waited every day by the porch that said, that's my son that I love. People are running away because they don't know what's happening, but the father's running towards him and wrapping his arms around him in love. He had all this stuff memorized in his mind. He said, I'm going to say that I'm going to have to become one of the servants. But when he gets to the Father, he never even gets to say that because the Father interrupts him and puts on the best robe in the house. He thought he had to degrade himself in order to be accepted again. He thought he had to hurt himself. He thought he had to lower himself. But God kisses, the Father kisses him and is so overwhelmed that he begins to weep over him. I'm going to end with this. And if you have connected in any way to something I said I would, that you would fill these altars. There was a woman, a story I heard about. A woman was wanting to come back to church. And she met her pastor before service started. And she said, Pastor, I just don't know if I can make it here again. He said, well, why is that? She said, because there's so many failures in my life. There's so many things I've said that people will know. There's so many things I've done that people are going to remember. What am I going to do? 
How am I going to make it in this church? There's so many people judging me and there's so many things in my way. So many obstacles holding me back. Pastor looks at her and he says, well, church is about to start. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a bottle of water and I want you to walk all around this sanctuary in the middle of everybody and what they're doing. I want you to walk around this sanctuary. I want you to go out of the sanctuary and I want you to walk through that lobby and everybody that's talking, everybody who may be gossiping, whatever they're doing, I want you to walk through this place with this glass of water, this bottle of water, and come back. And she came back to her pastor and said, well, I did it. He said, did you spill any water? She said, no. Why was it that you didn't spill any water? She said, because I wasn't focused on anything else but keeping that water in that bottle. You're coming back to God. Don't worry about the details. Don't worry about what's around you. Focus on the water. Focus on a God that loves you. Focus on the spirit that wants to fill your life and transform you. Come on, somebody, as they sing tonight. Don't worry about the details, but come back to your Father. Let the Father wrap his arms of love around you. Come on, let's come. Let's come tonight. Let's get in the presence of God. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Don't worry about the details but trust in the mercy of God come on somebody come on somebody come on somebody what are you worried about why aren't you praying why aren't you coming down to the altar what is it that's hindering you what is it that's bothering you what is it that's holding you back come on somebody you need to pray you need to pray you need to pray no more change